You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. An economic lifeline for a growing number of Canadians will be available as of tomorrow. That's when many who have lost their jobs because of the pandemic can finally apply for the emergency response benefit. Aaron MacArthur has details of when to apply so the system doesn't crash, along with a look at the state of the crisis across the country. The news continues to be grim across the country. While BC doesn't report new numbers on Sunday, Ontario has more than 400 new cases, adding to a nationwide tally that is now more than 15,000, with more than 275 deaths. Monday, Canadians will be able to access the emergency benefits promised by the Liberal government. Money could start flowing by the end of the week. If you choose to direct deposit, you will get a first payment within three to five days. If you choose to receive your benefit by mail, you'll get money within the next 10 days. Canadians can apply either through the CRA or through an automated phone service. Online applicants need to have a CRA or a Service Canada account. The benefits pay $500 a week, up to a maximum of 16 weeks. People need to reapply every four weeks. The government expects 3 million people to apply. And in order to prevent the website from crashing, the government is hoping people will apply on specific days. Critics say the benefits fail to capture as many as a third of Canadians who need it. The Conservatives say problems stretch far beyond that and include the new wage subsidy program as well. This subsidy is going to take too long. The government says it will be three to six weeks before businesses will even be able to apply. We don't know how long after it will be before they actually get the cash in their businesses. The U.S. administration has backtracked on another issue involving the COVID crisis. The White House now saying 3M can continue to export masks and respirators to Canada. The Prime Minister expected to announce more programs and supports later in the week. Sunday asking for volunteers with needed skills to help frontline healthcare workers. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Balder joins us now. Keith, Justin Trudeau was also asked today about greater border restrictions. Mm -hmm. That's an issue that our health minister, Adrian Dix, has been insisting upon for some time now. Yeah, this is a, keep an eye on this one, folks. This is, a, I think there's a real difference of opinion here between the federal government and the B.C. government. Uh, as of last week, there were almost 400,000 Canadians registered with Global Affairs Canada to come home to Canada. There's only four entry points. YVR is one of them. The concern is even though the Quarantine Act has been invoked, there's no guarantee that people are actually going to be quarantined when they're coming from countries that have wide infections of COVID-19. They're expected to self-isolate, but not everybody is going to follow the rules. Dix is looking for more firm action from the feds that this is actually going to be strongly enforced. I don't think he's very happy with what Justin Trudeau had in response to his concerns asked by our global uh, uh, national reporter, Janet Silver. Here's the Prime Minister. We recognize that uh, the a uh, vast majority of Canadians who were uh, stuck overseas have now returned to Canada and therefore uh, those flights are, are being, uh, being reduced as there still are a number more to come in. Uh, but uh, we recognize that there will be fewer and fewer travelers arriving in Canada uh, in the coming days and weeks. But as we, as we uh, continue to move forward, it's going to be extremely important that we continue uh, making sure that everyone isolates, uh, understands that they need to be under quarantine for two weeks uh, when they enter Canada in order to not be uh, spreading COVID-19. 
Definitely not the answer that uh, Adrian Dix would be looking for. And Keith, what are we expecting from tomorrow's provincial briefing? Yeah, the Bonnie, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Adrian Dix show begins again, resumes airing tomorrow at 1.30 from here in Victoria. We'll be carrying that live, of course, on BC One. Uh, well, last Monday, we thought we were going to get a big number. It wasn't a big number, even though it was a 48-hour period. And I think what's happening and what, why we've seen sort of lower numbers the last few days, the number of tests that have been c being conducted have dropped in about half than what they were when they were ramped up a couple weeks ago because a lot of the healthcare workers have now been tested. And that, that was the big bulk of the testing that, that went on before. So I don't think it necessarily a big number tomorrow but again uh, I think a number of people have been pointing out don't worry about the cases so much look at the hospital numbers and the ICU numbers and thankfully they have not really been increasing by any great numbers in the last few days they've been sort of flatlining and hopefully that continues if that does continue that's great news but this week is critical according to Dr. Bonnie Henry we're going to find out whether our social distancing measures and our hand washing have actually paid off by keeping the numbers low and bending the curve throughout the week all right I'll see you there tomorrow Thanks, Keith. Medical masks and gloves are highly sought after right now, so it's with growing dismay that we're now seeing personal protective equipment discarded by what appears to be non-frontline workers littered, littered rather on our streets. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the discarded items could be contaminated with the virus. They are everywhere they shouldn't be. It's pretty disappointing. Used surgical gloves and medical masks tossed like trash during the pandemic. To be so cavalier and self-centered about, about your personal litter is, is really appalling. you got to be a jerk to do something like that. The public, including Vancouver Councillor Pete Fry, noticing the used personal protective equipment piling up on the streets. They're fairly nonchalantly just tossing it, and I think it's incredibly selfish and really disconnected because the only way we're going to get through this crisis is by working together. Coquitlam Mayor Richard Stewart even questioning whether $10,000 fines are in order for those who dump used masks and gloves. If you think something is contaminated, leaving it for others is about the most selfish thing you could possibly do. Metro Vancouver aware more of these products are being improperly discarded. It's municipal crews on the front lines of the tainted trash. There's really heightened concern with respect to these type of materials. So that mask could be potentially infect, infected with the virus. Public health experts say physical contact with contaminated masks could spread COVID-19. That person may have coughed into the mask or may have had a runny nose, so you want to be careful not to touch it. If you're just trying to be a good citizen and clean up, um, you could potentially be infecting yourself. Instead, use a grabber to pick up PPE litter. Or be like Pete Fry and take your gloves off like this so you don't contaminate yourself, then bag them or double bag them if you're sick and toss them in the trash. There's so many people who are making so many sacrifices to keep us safe. The least you can do is put your garbage away. Kristen Robinson, Global News. This month is one of the holiest times of the year for several religions. Easter is next weekend, Passover is later this week, and Ramadan later in the month. The pandemic means all places of worship have had to change how they observe their faiths. And as Grace Key reports, that's prompting some adjustments. God, our Father, as we enter into this time toward Holy Week, Observing Palm Sunday during a pandemic is taking on new forms. At St. Patrick's Catholic Church in Vancouver, worshippers can listen to the Palm Sunday message online. That you are the only one that can fulfill... With Holy Week and Easter approaching, even drive-through and walk-through confessions were set up at the parish underground parking lot. 
Muslims will also be observing Ramadan later this month. With Friday prayers cancelled, some are working towards virtual gatherings. Ramadan is going to be a, a rather interesting time. As uh, I'm sure you're aware, it's meant to be a time of community, of getting together. Uh, myself and my family, we've uh, previously hosted an iftar dinner. Unfortunately, we're going to have to cancel that for the community this year. Jewish families will also be limiting Passover meals to a single household. Beth Israel in Vancouver will be hosting two seders, but on Zoom. Unfortunately for some people, it's even more difficult is if they don't have a loved one in their house, then they're celebrating seder by themselves. And that's extremely challenging and, and quite frankly sad as one of the things that we do every single year is make sure to invite people to our house. Jews, Muslims, and Christians now gathering during one of the holiest of times under a new reality. Grace Key, Global News. With the wildfire season on the horizon, fire mitigation efforts like controlled burns would normally be well underway. But that is not the case due to the pandemic. As Megan Turcato reports, some are saying more needs to be done in order to prevent a very bad wildfire season. Well before COVID-19, during the height of wildfire season, smoke was already forcing vulnerable Okanagan residents to don protective gear and stay inside. I wouldn't be breathing if I go out. Now the region is facing the possibility of dealing with both the pandemic and smoky skies at the same time. We uh, really have a lot to, to worry about in British Columbia. While we're still months from the height of fire season, efforts are already underway to control the amount of smoke in the air. The province stopped new open burns in many areas, including the Okanagan, saying lower air quality could mean more COVID-19 infections and more severe cases. We can go back to similar virus outbreaks almost 20 years ago, like SARS which is in the same family as, as COVID-19. And for instance, they found that with SARS uh, in communities that had significantly higher levels of air pollution, the mortality rate, the death rate was almost double. In the central Okanagan, the regional district has also banned campfires to protect the public as well as firefighters. Every time they have to go out to a burning complaint or a report of smoke, uh, is another time when they can't maintain their physical distancing. And that means that they're at greater risk. Fire departments sometimes light their own burns to reduce the fuel load and prevent wildfires later on. But Okanagan fire halls have also delayed or cancelled that work due to the pandemic. The fire chief suggesting residents use this time of home isolation to wildfire-proof their properties to make up for the controlled burns fire departments can't complete. We also have to, I think, ban fireplaces and wood stoves at this point. But whether or not further burning restrictions are put into place, what governments can't simply cancel during the pandemic is the wildfire season itself. Megan Turcato, Global News, Vernon. Vancouver firefighters were busy this morning responding to two back-to-back -back blazes. A man in a wheelchair was rescued from the basement of a home near Clark Drive and 12th Avenue after the three-story house caught fire just before 7 o'clock this morning. His injuries were said to be minor. A number of other people living in the home have also been displaced and emergency social services has been called to help them. No word yet on a cause. 
Just hours earlier, crews were also called to a fire at commercial building near Main Street and National Avenue. A couple of rooms on the ground floor had caught fire. Fortunately, no one was inside at the time. There are no reports of any injuries, but because it's a wood frame structure, firefighters had to knock down some of the walls to put it out. No word on a cause of that fire either. Vancouver police busted another COVID-19 criminal last night. Deputy Chief Howard Chow tweeting this photo of plainclothes officers arresting a property crime suspect. The alleged offender handcuffed after police say he took advantage of businesses and residents who are following the rules to self-isolate. With much of the city's business district boarded up, the VPD says commercial break-ins are increasing, especially in the downtown core. Police say it's aggressively targeting thieves who are taking advantage of the crisis. Officers in the downtown east side seized this very real-looking weapon from a 17-year-old last night. The department says two members spotted the replica gun while walking the beat. And there's no known COVID-19 outbreak in the downtown east side. But Vancouver's mayor has said it's only a matter of time before there is one because it's difficult to physical distance in the area. Extra hygiene and hand sanitizing stations have been set up on the street to help curb the spread of the virus. In Abbotsford, a 24-year-old woman was arrested for an aggravated assault for allegedly stabbing her 25-year-old male partner. First responders were called to the 2700 block of Fairlane, Fairlane Street just after 1 o'clock this morning. The man was rushed to hospital with serious injuries. Today marks four years since a Vancouver Island RCMP officer was killed in the line of duty in a car crash. West Shore RCMP Constable Sarah Beckett died after a drunk driver slammed into her cruiser in Langford in April of 2016. Kenneth Fenton was sentenced to four years in prison for ramming his truck into Beckett's police vehicle. His blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit when he ran a red light while fleeing police. Beckett was an 11-year veteran of the force, a wife and a mother of two young boys. A good reminder that it's not just healthcare workers who are risking their safety on the front lines of this pandemic. Sobey says some of its grocery store workers have tested positive for COVID-19, with at least 19 stores across the country affected, including two locations here in BC. One employee was working at the Fresh Co. at Number 3 Road and Williams Road in Richmond. Their last day of work was March 26th. Another employee at the Safeway inside the King Edward Mall in Vancouver has tested positive. Their last day of work was March 31st. The company says it's following public health guidelines to support its teammates and customers. With every case reported, Sobeys says it will deep clean and sanitize the store location affected and communicate with customers who have shopped in the impacted location through store signage. And signs are now up at Vancouver's Granville Island telling shoppers at the public market that shopping is not a social affair. They're asking everyone to do their essential shopping solo, if possible, and please maintain physical distance. Most businesses have had to close for now and, as a security measure, board up their storefronts. But now, as Paul Johnson explains, that plywood is sending a message of hope, positivity and thanks. Working out the kinks of a large format portrait on plywood, Izzy Chung is happy to spend a day off on a meaningful project. 
shining a light on people that are working really hard and working for um, p- other people without credit needed. Chung's healthcare worker Triptych is among a growing cluster of murals that sprung up over the sheets of plywood retailers have nailed over their stores to get through the crisis. When I was approached with the idea, it was a really amazing person and I wanted to uh, give my appreciation to her. Artist Brees Austin did this portrait of Dr. Teresa Tam, Canada's chief doctor. It's situated right next to her provincial counterpart, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who now needs no introduction to British Columbians. Big urban murals in cities are often about historical figures, but this crisis has inspired artists to paint their contemporary heroes. Kim Briscoe is the owner of Kim Prince, the Gastown art store that got the movement going. I just decided to call out to all the artists that I know and uh, see if we could paint something about what is happening in the news right now. And indeed, art brings out new perspectives. Check out David Austin's take on the Dr. Peace sign he painted. I'm trying to convey like the peace sign for two meters, so like maybe start like a trend of like saying this for like stay two meters away from me. But what was most striking at the mural walk Sunday was Chung, who only days ago graduated from Respiratory Therapist College and is likely headed straight to the front lines of the pandemic, making this kind of a self-portrait. We graduated and then the week after that I started, so it's just been kind of a whirlwind of a month. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. An engineering professor at UBC Okanagan has invented a device to open doors without touching the doorknobs. Versus this thing is only your personal device. You know, you only use it when you want to open the door and you only touch the handle. And uh, this area after the end of the day can just wipe it and clean it and that's it. Ray Tahiri says doorknobs are notorious for germs and bacteria, so he designed a device that will open any door, regardless of the kind of doorknob, hands-free. The door opener is magnetic and can also be used to push elevator buttons, open drawers, and pick things up. First of all, I gave it to people that are using it most, which is the securities. You know, they open hundreds of doors a day. I give it to a few of them and they love it. I just send an email to my colleagues and they all say, I need one. That's great. Tahiri says that he is using a 3D printer to make the door openers right now so that they are not commercially available yet. He hopes a manufacturer might be interested in mass producing them. Well, tailgate gatherings aren't just for stadium parking lots anymore. Amid this pandemic, it seems more and more people are doing it to stay connected while still practicing physical distancing. Last night, we showed you a group of friends celebrating a birthday this way. And today, our camera operator found at least five groups of vehicles spread out in parking lots in Langley's Willowbrook neighborhood. No word on what BC's top doctor thinks of this idea. For only the fifth time in her 68-year reign, Queen Elizabeth delivered a special address today. It comes as British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been admitted to hospital with persistent symptoms of COVID-19 since testing positive 10 days ago. It also comes as the UK has suffered a record single-day spike in COVID deaths, more than 700 in the last 24 hours. 
Tonight, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson hospitalized with COVID-19. 10 Downing Street saying in a statement, this is a precautionary step as the Prime Minister continues to have persistent symptoms of coronavirus. I've developed mild symptoms. He tested positive on March 27th, becoming the first world leader to do so. Alas, I still have one of the symptoms. And on Friday, reported still having a fever. He's been updating the nation on social media while still working from home. His pregnant fiance, now in isolation, also showing symptoms. The news breaking just an hour after the Queen gave a rare special address to the nation. At 93 years old, the picture of strength. Together we are tackling this disease. A deeply personal message, a wartime rallying cry as her own son, her heir, Prince Charles, recovers from COVID-19. The Queen has given this kind of unplanned address just four times before. At the onset of the first Gulf War. As your Queen and as a grandmother. When Princess Diana died. My heart. When her mother, the Queen Mum, passed away and at her Diamond Jubilee. The Queen is not at home at Buckingham Palace. She's speaking tonight from Windsor Castle, where she and her 98-year-old husband, Prince Philip, both very much in that more vulnerable age category, have been self-isolating. But the head of state who has seen and survived so much in her 68-year reign has never seen this before. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. And tonight, millions tuned in for just that. Molly Hunter, NBC News, London. Tomorrow marks the second anniversary of the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. On April 6, 2018, a transport truck barreled through a stop sign at Humboldt, Saskatchewan and into the path of the bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team. It killed 16 people and injured 13 others. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, still grieving families will not be able to attend memorial services this year. The mayor of Humboldt says tomorrow's memorial will instead be held online. At 4.50 tomorrow afternoon, the approximate time the crash occurred two years ago, church bells in the town will toll, followed by a moment of silence. A sobering message from America's top doctor. The U.S. Surgeon General is warning Americans next week could be one of the darkest in more than a generation, comparing it to the worst attacks on U.S. soil. But already, nearly twice as many Americans have died from COVID-19 than in 9-11 and Pearl Harbor combined. Tonight, from the Surgeon General, that dire warning. The next week is going to be our Pearl Harbor moment. It's going to be our 9-11 moment. Uh, it's going to be the hardest moment for many Americans in their entire lives. Health officials telling everyone to avoid leaving the house at all costs. If you absolutely have to go out, wear a mask and keep your distance. This is the moment to not be going to the grocery store, not going to the pharmacy, but doing everything you can to keep your family and your friends safe. This says the national death toll tops 9,000. This is war. This is essentially what it feels to be like a wartime physician. From a doctor on the front lines in Michigan, one of the hot spots health officials caution is just days away from reaching a deadly peak. We are struggling to get it under control. Shortages of supplies persist, including masks, ventilators. The state of Louisiana about to run out of hospital beds. There's also a huge need for doctors and nurses critical to the fight. Every single mind and body is necessary to fight this. And we've been able to get people to jump in and actually volunteer to do this. This is hard hit states continue to blame the federal government. Can you imagine if Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, uh, I'll be right behind you, Connecticut, 
Good luck building those paddle ships. Yet other states ignore guidelines and a plea from top officials. I wish every governor would encourage the people in their states to follow these guidelines for 30 days. That's what I want. At least seven governors refusing statewide mandates, including Arkansas. Governor Asa Hutchinson insists the action he's taking is enough. We have had success in Arkansas right. comparable to other states. Uh, tomorrow, 600,000 Arkansans will still go to work. So it's right. more important the message that do your social distancing, uh, don't gather yeah. in groups of more than 10 people, and bring a mask with you. This weekend, Governor Brian Kemp reopened Georgia's beaches. Local mayors calling the move reckless. Here we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and yet where we're closing schools, we're opening beaches. In my mind, that does not compute. Pope Francis celebrated Palm Sunday Mass today without the public. The traditional ceremony in St. Peter's Square was scrapped because of the pandemic. Normally, tens of thousands of the faithful would attend the outdoor Mass. Instead, the pontiff led services inside St. Peter's Basilica. Aides, a few high-ranking clergy, nuns, and altar service people were present. In the sermon, Francis said during the pandemic, the real heroes are not the famous, the rich, or the successful but those who serve others. A 100-hectare forest fire is burning in the evacuated area around the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, and the Emergency Services Ministry says radiation levels have increased in the fire center. The blaze is within Chernobyl's exclusion zone, established after the 1986 disaster at the plant that sent a cloud of radioactive fallout over much of Europe. The zone is largely unpopulated, although about 200 people have remained there despite orders to leave. Canadian activist and actor Shirley Douglas has died. Douglas was the daughter of Medicare founder Tommy Douglas and was once married to Canadian actor Donald Sutherland. Douglas was also an officer of the Order of Canada and an inductee into Canada's Walk of Fame. Her son, actor Kiefer Sutherland, says that she succumbed this morning to complications surrounding pneumonia not related to COVID-19. Shirley Douglas was 86 years old. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Putting Canucks games on ice, so to speak, isn't stopping our national anthem singer from doing his part during the pandemic. We're going to have that story for you right after the forecast with Yvonne. And Yvonne, yesterday's forecast looks spectacular, and my fingers are crossed that it's going to hold. <laughs> yeah, actually, the next couple of days are long-range forecasts. We've got sunshine, and temperatures are really going to start to warm up over the next little while. I'll have those numbers in just a moment. We had a fair bit of cloud cover this morning. We've got breaks now. It'll be dry. A nice clearing is on the way. A beautiful shot this evening on the tower cam. We're sitting at 10 right now. We've got a northwesterly wind out of the airport at 19 kilometers per hour. A beautiful shot that was captured from Stanley Park today. So thank you so much, Margarita, for sending in that great shot. And temperatures, the double digits today, 10 was the high. The average sits closer to 13 degrees and we'll climb up to that as we get in towards the week. Areas in the interior today up to 8 degrees. Revelstoke up to 5. Still quite chilly for the northeastern corners with a piece bumping up to minus 3. We've got a nice break and clearing on the way but still this evening for the southern half of the province, the interior, southeastern corners, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, scattered flurries, and then clearing will be overnight tonight. The next blip in the forecast, though, is along the north and central coast with a few showers popping up tomorrow. Not much.
much in terms of accumulation and then rebounding quite quickly into Tuesday. So by tomorrow afternoon, we are going to see some showers along the north coast. All areas for the southern half of the province, clear conditions, sunshine, and it is warming up. The interior will be included within that. Overnight tonight, though, very chilly in the early morning hours. Temperatures will be close to or hovering the freezing mark. By tomorrow morning, 2 and 4 degrees, and then the afternoon, Anywhere between 11 if you're closer to the water and inland and away from the water, up to 14 degrees. This evening, still seeing scattered flurries. The Kootenai Pass between 2 and up to 4 centimetres. Coquihalla Connector as well as the Rogers Pass with up to 2 and a few flurries for areas near the Allison Pass. It'll be much drier overnight. Most areas near the peace, it's the temperatures once again. Overnight, the winds chill down to minus 23. The winds tomorrow southwesterly and gusts potentially up to 50 kilometers per hour. And then over the next three days, uh, more sunshine will be in the mix. White horse with a few flurries for tomorrow. Wind chill starting off at minus 9. And most areas along the north coast. So just a little blip for tomorrow with the chance of showers and improves quite quickly on Tuesday back into a mix of sun and cloud. Caribou and Central Interior, some bright spots tomorrow. Westerly wind with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. And most areas near the Columbian Kootenai will still have some cloud cover for the morning. It does remain dry. Clearing breaks for the afternoon and temperatures getting into the double digits. So warming up for many areas across the southern half of the province. Thompson, Okanagan, a clearing this evening. Some bright spots for tomorrow. Chilly for the morning hours at minus 3. And Whistler seeing that range between 10 and 14 degrees. It'll warm up now even above the average. All areas across the island tomorrow, a clear day, clear day, sunshine, highs ranging between 12 and 14 over the next three, five-day forecast for Metro Vancouver. Fantastic. We've got temperatures warming up, potentially calling in Wednesday, Thursday, areas away from the water, 18, 19. By the end of the week, areas away from the water could get up to 20 degrees. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. The nightly 7 o'clock tribute to frontline health care workers ramped up even further last night in New Westminster when Mark Donnelly lent his distinctive voice to the cause. Oh, Canada, our home and native land. The anthem singer for the Vancouver Canucks is a fixture at Rogers Arena, and since there are no games scheduled for the foreseeable future, he wanted to do his part to help keep spirits high. He put on a special performance of O Canada as people in neighboring condos cheered and banged their pots and pans. Well, we don't have an actual hockey game tonight, but we still have it in here, right? So let's show what Canadians are like to the rest of the country and the rest of the world and especially show them what Canuck fans are like. It's tough to get married in the traditional way right now, but a Vancouver Island couple was treated to a very special surprise on their wedding day yesterday. Have a look. Scott and Selena went ahead with their wedding, but unfortunately had to uninvite all of their guests because of the social distancing restrictions. But their friends had another plan. Many of them showed up in cars and bikes to celebrate with a couple, and everyone kept safe distance from one another. And a bit of disclosure here, the groom is the brother of our global news video journalist, Kylie Stanton. Congratulations, Scott and Selena, 
from all of us here at Global VC. Nice. Well, most of us have by now experienced going to the grocery store or shopping online only to discover that what we want isn't available. Those who lived through the Great Depression or World War II are all too familiar with having to make do. But we didn't look back that far for an example of a pan panic-induced shortage. As Mo Rocca reminds us, it's not the first time there wasn't a square to spare. Yep. It happened before. A toilet paper scare during the energy crisis of the early 1970s. Former CBS News reporter Sally Quinn covered the story. Amidst the recent preoccupation with the fuel shortage and the meat shortage, a new gap has appeared in the staples of the American household, the toilet paper shortage. Filmmaker Brian Gersten made a documentary short about it last year. Yes, before the current toilet paper panic. Here's what happened back in December of 1973. A congressman from Wisconsin, Harold Froelich, releases a statement saying the next thing we're going to have to worry about is a potential toilet paper shortage. The warning was picked up by late night king Johnny Carson's writers, who left out the potential part. There is an acute shortage of toilet paper in the good old United States. We gotta quit writing on it. <laughs> the false alarm sent Carson's audience of almost 20 million running. I'm used to being able to go when I want to, when I want to, but suddenly I think I'm going to have to start curbing my habits. People all over the country stormed supermarkets, grabbed as much toilet paper as they possibly could. A month later, CBS News' own Walter Cronkite set the record straight. The Scott Paper Company, citing panic buying on the retail level, said today it is implementing an allocation system for the national distribution of toilet tissue. A Scott spokesman said unfounded rumors of a shortage has caused excessive demand at retail outlets. And then Carson issued a clarification of sorts. All of my life as an entertainer, I don't want to be remember the man who created a false toilet paper scare. Apparently there is no shortage. And there is no shortage today. But there is another panic. When there's uncertainty in the world, people would like to eliminate some of that uncertainty. So buying toilet paper or plenty of toilet paper ensures that at least one act in their life is completely taken care of. The most important message that people should take away is there's actually plenty of toilet paper. There's no need to panic. A lesson Sally Quinn imparted to our viewers over 45 years ago. Apparently, there's plenty of toilet paper for everybody. It's just that the terror has caused people to hoard, thereby depleting the supply. And all for nothing. The super value on Vancouver's Commercial Drive is apologizing for a mistake that saw toilet paper prices skyrocket. Customers were charged $34.99, yes, $34.99 yesterday morning for a Royale 24-pack of three-ply double roll. In a statement on social media, Super Value says it doesn't normally purchase this product, but that's the, all that was available in the warehouse. And the store was charged $31.65 per unit, so they priced it at a little over $3 more for retail. Super Value says Loblaws has since agreed to reduce the price so they can now sell the coveted TP for $18.49 a pack. Anyone who paid the higher price can bring in their receipt to get a refund for the difference. All right, Barry's here with a look at sports. And with the nice weather that's coming, I'm hoping people resist the urge to do a pickup game of soccer. <laughs> yeah, around here, but... 
as you know, speaking of that, people want to see games, pro games on TV, and maybe this is uh, something to possibly look forward to. The English Premiership has had talks with the uh, government over a return to action in June. Now, the Mirror is reporting that the games would resume behind closed doors with no fans. Players would stay in a sterile environment, limiting contact with the public. The agreement, of course, based on health officials hope that COVID-19 will peak in the United Kingdom over the next few weeks. And they, of course, would only proceed when it's safe and appropriate to do so. But hopefully that would happen. Right now, we could uh, all use a distraction to put a smile on our face. A Vancouver street basketball player has been making his fans smile for about 20 years. He's very well known in the basketball world, and if all goes well, he will be showing his skills in the Canadian Elite Basketball League this summer in Abbotsford. His nickname is King Handles, and it makes perfect sense when you see his ball handling skills. His real name is Joey Haywood, and he is a legend in the streetball world. Maybe not so much in the Lower Mainland, where he graduated from Vancouver's McGee Secondary in 2002, but for the last two decades, he's wowed audiences all around the world, mostly in Japan and China. I think I'm, I'm right now... Uh definitely top four or five in the world for street basketball for like well-known basketball players that says a lot about his skills and staying power he's now 35 and still going strong street ball is all about style and results and joey's got all that and more style but also you got to get a bucket you got to get buckets too but it's a, it's a certain way how you get it right like putting through someone's legs or maybe rolling off their head doing a crazy move but also scoring so if you do that and score it makes you a, a complete street ball player Haywood's streetball career started in the early 2000s, well before social media kicked in. Well, it's kicked in now. Haywood has over 160,000 Instagram followers. It's been my best friend. Uh, it's been my enemy. Uh, but yeah, but it's been, it's been great. It's been great. Getting a lot of contact from uh, different companies after the quarantine and stuff like that, flying me out to different countries. So it's been great for the past like six, seven years I've been on. It's been really helping me out a lot. Haywood has played traditional pro basketball in Europe and Asia. He almost made the Raptors Development League team the 905 back in 2017. Often street ballers are looked upon as gimmicky players and don't get a true shot at traditional basketball teams. But Joey led the country in scoring when he played university basketball at St. Mary's in Halifax back in the early 2000s. And now he's been signed by the Canadian Elite Basketball League's Fraser Valley Bandits who play out of Abbotsford. After dazzling on the world stage, King Handles finally has himself a home gig. It's going to be fun. I never expect to actually play professional basketball in my city. Uh, so actually I wanted to play for the Grizzlies when I was growing up, right? But uh, uh, they're not here. So this is a good opportunity here to play home. Now, had there been no disruption, the NHL playoffs would have begun this Wednesday, perhaps with the Canucks in the field. It's uncertain when the puck will drop again. But in the meantime, players are getting creative with staying in shape, including Patrick Marlowe, who obviously has a very big house. Obviously, there is a house rule at the Marlowe's. Broken by Dad, who is a 22-year-old, 22-year uh, NHL veteran, helps to have the smooth marble floors in the long hallways. Marlowe's wife took the footage. Hey, dads are allowed to break the rules once in a while. I know I do. Not like that. I don't have that kind of marble at my place. <laughs>
pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work if you've got wall-to-wall -wall carpeting either. Yeah, yeah, it's much, much more difficult. Better workout, though. <laughs> when Logan Boulay became an organ donor, he saved six lives. This is his legacy. What will yours be? Green Shirt Day. Register. Tell your family. Be inspired. Give the gift of a lifetime. Every night on the Global News Hour at 6, we are thanking our BC healthcare heroes. And Yvonne, who do you have for us tonight? Tonight, our BC healthcare hero is ER nurse Paveen Varach. His full time job is a nursing instructor at BCAT, but ever since the pandemic, he's picked up extra shifts and is working the front line at Surrey Memorial Hospital to help with patients who have tested positive from COVID 19. If you have a healthcare hero to nominate, send a picture or a short video to BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca. And remember to include some information on what makes them your hero, a description, include some of the names, anything that you can always helps. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I, I'm just blown away by the stories that we're hearing about these folks. You know, they're just it's selfless. And the photos are great, so thank mm -hmm. you so much for sharing them all. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely terrific. Um, Barry, last word? Uh, yes, I think it's great that everyone's doing that. I, I just love how everyone's pitching in right now. Here. I do too. Um, I, I just think that's, uh, you got to make the best of this. It's easy to say, oh my goodness, what don't we have? We're missing out on things that we're used to having, but I'd love the, the help. Exactly. Well, speaking of healthcare heroes, we're going to leave you tonight with a very special musical tribute honoring BC's top doctor, Bonnie Henry. It's performed by Tina Jones, Ben Dwyer, and Dan Lapp, and it was written by BC-based Juno award-winning jazz music musician Phil Dwyer. I did a concert last Sunday and, and I dedicated a song to her and when I announced the dedication I found I had a, quite an emotional response to it and so the next day when I got up I, uh, I just sat down and wrote a poem which is essentially the lyrics of the song. Dwyer, who is also a lawyer and an Order of Canada recipient, lives in Qualicum Beach. He was inspired to pen the folk song for the woman who's become a folk hero to so many during this pandemic. The result? The Ballad of Bonnie Henry. Good night and stay safe. She comes on the radio just around three With the public health news for the folks of BC And to talk of a crisis of a scope yet unseen With an ungainly moniker, COVID-19 From the start at the top of her list of demands Was we lather with soap and please wash off